All sound awesome this morning, singing. It sounds lovely. We're here to worship God, and we're here to worship Him in all parts. So would you pray with me as we get ready for the sermon here? Heavenly Father, we are here to hear from you. We open our hearts and minds, and we ask that you would help us to discern this great mystery they call the book of Revelation. Lord, we know that you intend for us to understand it and to live it out. We recognize also that there are parts of this we're not yet meant to know, but we will know fully one day. And so we trust you, and we follow after you, and we pray that you will reveal yourself in our hearts and in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, you might have noticed, well, you would have noticed, it's not up there, but it's over there, so I can tell you that you might have noticed that we have six and seven and eight going on today. We have, uh, we're in uh, part six, we're in the seventh seal. There it is, it came up. We're in part six, we're in the seventh seal, and we're in Revelation chapter eight. So we've got six, sevens, and eights going on. Now, before we go to chapter eight, I wanna spend a couple of minutes this morning doing something different. I want to stop and I want to take the next 10 minutes and just talk about the rapture. Anybody ever seen the Left Behind movies or read the Left Behind books? Just kind of stick your hand up if that's the case. You at least know what it is, right? What they are and they're, uh, they're related to this topic this morning. Uh, the rapture is not explicitly spelled out in Revelation. But uh, in my reading, I found at least five places in the book of Revelation where people think, oh, that's where the rapture takes place. It's right after this scripture. And one of those is in chapter 7, which we did last week. And we didn't have a lot of time last week because there were a lot of things to cover. And so I wanted to spend this time this morning just taking a look at it. Uh, first of all, the term rapture or the rapture is not a biblical term. Uh, you're not going to find it in the Bible. It just isn't there. But it's used to describe some things that we do see in Scripture. So it's kind of like, you know, we use the word Trinity to describe what we see in the three persons of God. Uh, that word Trinity is not in the Bible, but we use it to describe that. Um, if you know what the rapture is, uh, then you're ahead of the game. But if you don't know what it is, it is an end time event that's very closely related to the resurrection of the dead. And much of the concept comes from the first Thessalonians chapter 4. So I want to look at that this morning and read through that with you. I'm going to put it up on the screen so you can read it along. Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like all the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that those who are still alive, or we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Uh, you may remember that at the first part of the book of Acts, um, we have uh, Jesus had gathered his disciples together on the mountainside. He told them about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And, and then as he finished this time together with them, he just lifted into the air until he disappeared behind the clouds and returned to heaven. And they were stunned. They stood there, their mouths open, looking up, kind of like, what just happened? And, and what's, what's going to happen next? But the angel appeared and said to them, why do you stand there looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Okay, so we have this, this stuff that's been happening in Scripture that tells us what's going to happen and gives us a hint. And, and so we expect Jesus is going to return from the sky like he left. And 1 Thessalonians 4 tells us that the dead who believed in Christ when they were alive uh, and the believers who are still alive when Jesus returns, they're all going to be caught up somehow to meet Jesus in the air. I'm not sure how this works. Uh, as a former skydiver, I used to kind of picture that in my head, that, that skydiving was kind of rehearsal for the rapture in reverse. You know, Instead of going down, we're going up. Uh, my skydiving team often talked about well, if we're close to each other when that happens, we're going to do some patterns on the way up, you know? Keep it all together. Do our formation work. In Matthew 24, Jesus warns that this event will happen suddenly. Do you remember we talked about this last week a little bit? Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. Now, Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, they built a whole book series around the idea of being left behind. And one thing you might remember about this book series is that it's fiction. It's a fiction, it's story, it's, a, it's meant to entertain. Uh, and it's built around some of these events. And it supposes, what if it happened this way? But it is only one man, Tim LaHaye's idea of how this might turn out. He's just kind of projecting ahead. Um, but in order to do that, they took a whole lot of different end times ideas and theories, and they stuck them all together in one big series. And I, and I can tell you up front that not all of these things are found in Scripture. Maybe entertainment, but it is not theology. What the Bible teaches on the subject is far less clear than what a lot of preachers and a lot of book writers and a lot of TV film producers want you to believe. Because knowing with great assurance and promoting one particular view often sells a lot of books. But we need to look at what Scripture says, and we need to get an understanding of, of how it intends for us to relate to the material that we see in Scripture to further confuse the issue, there are three different theories on when the rapture might happen. And you may know these. One of them is pre-tribulation, mid-tribulation, or post-tribulation rapture. Well, what do these things mean? Well, pre-tribulation rapture claims that 
that there will be a mass removal of God's people and the raising of the Christian dead, and it's going to be taking place before the tribulation. And by the way, there are two ways that Revelation uses that word. The, the first one we've already encountered as we've looked at the, the kind of the, the groanings, the birth pains of uh, getting ready for Jesus' coming, that whole period is called tribulation because it's, it's trouble. It means, the word tribulation means pressured, and, and it means persecution is the way that we apply it. Um, and then there's the second use of it, which is the great tribulation which is a period a little closer to Jesus' return, which has even more intense pressure going on and a lot of things that are part of God's judgment as we move into that. So anyway, um, when things get really bad, that's what we call the Great Tribulation. The pre-tribulation theory, or, or students of the Bible call it pre-trib, the pre-trib theory... Um, means that we get taken out of here before the trouble really starts. The problem that I found is that when I got into chapter 7 that we looked at last week, it kind of seems to deflate that idea when it says that the great multitude before the throne were believers. These are those who came out of the great tribulation. These are the people who died during this period of persecution. So, so that, even though the pre-tribulation theory has been very popular in America, um, it has maybe not such a scriptural basis. Um, listen closely to this. This is important. The early church and the historical church worried very little about this rapture idea. They worried about it very little. They were focused on Jesus' return, but they were focused on being spiritually ready, and they were focused on being about their father's business, to be doing what Jesus called us to do until that thing happened. You get that? I mean, that's the main emphasis, and that's what we need to remember. Um, the rapture theories didn't uh, become popular until around the 19th century when a theologian by the name of John Nelson Darby uh, kind of put it all together in one place. And it became part of the fundamentalist dispensationalism, which was part of the fundamentalist church, and of course then spread to other parts of North American Christianity. So, you know, a lot of our theory comes from this period and not from the ancient period. And that's important for us to remember. Now, these other things, mid-tribulation rapture theory believes that the rapture will take place during the great tribulation sometime. It doesn't nail down when. Post-tribulation theory is that the rapture will take place after the tribulation and usually with the return of Jesus. Now, my wishful thinking would hope for the pre-tribulation theory, you know, because I don't want to see any pain. I don't want to see any suffering. I don't want to see any more persecution. I'd like to be gone by that time. You know, that's where my wishful thinking part goes. That's my hopeful part. But I tend to be more of a mid-tribber or post-tribber, and um, that's kind of where I fall. But if you want to go in deeper in that, I'd be happy to sit down over coffee or lunch with you and, and pull those things apart, as long as you're paying. <laughs> so... Now that you understand perfectly what the rapture is, 
and you have it memorized, we're ready to go on, and we want to move into chapter 8. Colleen DeLauder is going to come and read chapter 8 for us this morning. There she is. (laughs) Now hear the word of God. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of all the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters were turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark, a third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe! Woe! Woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. The word of the Lord to his people. Have you ever experienced a silence that was so profound that it it feels like a holy moment. You ever had that experience? We have so much noise in our world that real silence is rare. I experienced something profound one time when I had the privilege of walking underground in the Carlsbad Caverns. I was about a mile below ground and about a mile into the tunnel, and at one point I just realized it was quiet. And I stopped, and I listened, and it was profound. And there was a sense for me, the presence of God, and I I stopped to pray and just prayed there for a bit. It was an amazing experience. And and we don't get those those times often to to stop and hear God speaking or to, to listen for what's not happening. 
Sometimes we need to push back the noise around us in order to experience God. And when Jesus opens the seventh seal, this is the final seal. You remember on this scroll, and the scroll contains uh, God's plan for what's going to happen to humanity for the rest of time. And Jesus opens this last seal, and it says there was silence for about a half an hour. Can you imagine complete silence for half an hour? You know, a lot of stuff had been going on in the dream that John had experienced in this vision that Jesus was showing him. You know, we'd seen, you know, all of these things happening at the end of chapter 7, and we saw, you know, earthquakes and, and all kinds of phenomena happening, and now all of that kind of fades away. And we had all this worship going on. You know, we had all of the elders around the thrones and the four living creatures and the other angels, and they were all crying out and worshiping God, and then that all fades off to silence. And everything gets very quiet for a half an hour. All that violence of the persecution that we've seen, it's not there for the moment. We don't see it. And something happens in the silence. In the silence, another angel comes forward. This angel has the golden censer. And he stood at the altar. And he was given incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. And the smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Incense mixed with the prayers of God's people. We talked about this before. Your prayers are always heard. Your prayers are included, and a censer is just an incense burner, and your prayers are included with this incense as part of a special worship of God during this quiet time. You know, sometimes we feel like our prayers aren't answered, but they are heard, and they are collected, and they are offered, and they're sweet to God. And after they were offered to God, the angel used this empty incense burner to gather coals from the altar. It says, then the angel took the censer, filled it with the fire from the altar, and he hurled it on the earth. There came peals of thunder rumblings, flashings of lightning, and an earthquake. You may remember a few chapters back, there were a group of martyrs. They were said to be under the altar, and they came out, and, and they were crying out, How long? How long? You know, how long do we have to wait for you to judge the evil ones of the world? How long do we have to wait for justice for our deaths? How long will this continue that others would suffer like we did? This is God's answer. This is the beginning of wrath being poured out. And the real wrath began. We saw at the end of chapter 7 the people hiding, and they thought that they were experiencing the full wrath of God, and they were really just getting the first taste of it. And it really begins here. And this wrath has to do with God's justice. You know, we all want to focus on God's love, and that is a major part of his character. But he has other parts of his character, and one of those parts is justice. 
And in order for for God's full love to be expressed, and in order for a number of things to happen in our lives, we have to have justice. When we come to Jesus, what happens? The scripture says we are justified. And sometimes we've explained that simply by saying that it's just as if we never sinned. That's how God deals his justice when we repent and when we come to him. But what happens when we don't repent and we don't come to him? Well, at some point, we have to face the wrath of God, which is his justice. And the fire part here has to do with God's cleansing. And many different times you may remember in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah has his great vision of God, when God calls him into ministry as a prophet, and he's in the throne room of, of God, and he's encountering, he realizes that God is this holy being, and, and he feels, he cries out, woe is me, and I'm a man of unclean lips. And he feels like he's going to die because he's in the presence of the holy God, and he knows he's not holy. But one of the angels takes coals from the fire of the altar where these sacrifices are being made and touches his lips and instead of burning them, it cleans him. And he is now declared righteous before God. Not worthy to be in God's presence on his own merit, but because God declares it and God makes it. The people on earth, corrupted by the sin that Satan unleashed in Adam, are facing the wrath. Ultimately, Everything and everyone on the planet is affected. You know, the good stuff is coming. But before we get there, we have to deal with some of the more difficult stuff, what we might think of the bad stuff. And it's dealt out by the blowing of trumpets. You know, in Israel, trumpets were used for a lot of different things. They were used to call people to prayer. They were used, you know, during worship time. But they were also used to call out a warning as an alarm. And I think that's why, how they're being used here. Seven is the number of perfection or completion. And so God's complete wrath is being poured out. And we're going to see this happen over the next several chapters. Um, but there's always something to look at within each of those. The trumpets are the response to the prayers of God's people, especially the martyrs. How long, Lord? How long? Now. And after each trumpet's blown, there comes a plague of kinds. You know, you can think of the plagues of Egypt and think about how this, this worked in Egypt. And you know what they did there? They, you know, when the, the angel of death came, what did they do? They, they put a mark on the doorpost from the blood of the lamb and the angel of death passed over them. And the people of God were not touched. What happened in the last chapter? God had an angel come and put a seal on the forehead of the believers. And it's part of his promise that that this plague part that's coming, you know, they may have gone through some persecution. There may be more persecution to come, but the plague part of it will somehow pass them over. That's the implied promise of the seal of God. 
So after each trumpet comes another plague, like the plagues of Egypt, and parts of the earth are burned up, and mountains are moving, and sea is turned to blood, and sea creatures are dying, and a star, maybe a comet, falls from the sky, and the water turns bitter, and some people die from drinking it. It's very harsh, isn't it? Harsh judgment for the corruption of sin. When we look at this, we see a vengeful, angry God. But God's anger is not the same as human anger. The wrath of God, Romans 1.18 tells us that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So God is expressing judgment and justice, and he's waited a long time. We're told in Scripture he waited as long as he could so that everyone who would come would come, right? That so that many will come. But sin must be dealt with before an ultimate home of heaven, this uniting of heaven and earth can come. So after four trumpets... And these things that are poured out, we get another warning. It says, as I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe! Woe! Woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the angels. Well, in, in the Bible, in case you didn't know this, a woe is not what you yell to get the horse to stop brings to mind Yosemite Sam in the cartoons. But that's not what this is about. A woe is often used here to express grief, uh, like at a funeral. In fact, some songs in the Old Testament are called funeral woes or funeral songs. Uh, might be like our funeral dirges, you know. And it can also mean regret or terrible distress it's a warning. And you know, our God does not issue wrath without feeling. Because God is more than one dimension. God has a lot of aspects to his character, and one of those is the great love that he holds for his people. He loves the whole world. He loves every person in it. He loves every person who has ever lived in it. And he loves every person who is ever going to be born into it. God loves the world. He so loved the world that he sent Jesus in love to die for that sin on the cross, to take that sin with him. And you know, we have an invitation to participate in that. We have an invitation to repentance, to believe Jesus at his word, to receive him as Lord and Savior and to receive the forgiveness that was only available to us because of that cross. We have an opportunity. We don't like to talk about it, but to reject that offer is to be in the path of God's wrath, is to experience it because of our sinfulness. Romans 2.5 says, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. 
That's what we're talking about, right? Then if we, we move on beyond that to Romans 2.8, it says, but for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Stuff we don't like to talk about. But thankfully, one verse before it says, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. God gives us freedom from this sin. God gives us protection from this coming wrath. He offers us the fruit of his sacrifice. He gives us a way to escape. And the truth that will set you free is Jesus. Believe in him. Receive him. Follow him. And we best get on with it. Because as we said at the beginning when we talked about the rapture, nobody knows when any of this is going to start or occur. Now, I believe we're not to spend a huge amount of time obsessing and theorizing about when and what and all of the things there. These things are meant to push us towards, as my friend says, ethics. Ethical behavior, ethical thought, the ethics of God. To change our behavior and our thinking and our hearts. In a moment, we're going to be sharing together the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper commemorates Jesus' sacrifice for us, for each of us, for you and for me. If you don't know Jesus, this is the perfect time to receive him. Perfect. If you do know Jesus as Lord and Savior, then this is a good time to renew that covenant that you made with God. We're going to pray, and I would encourage you during this prayer time to, to just, and we're going to have a silent part here. During the silence, I, I would just encourage you to talk to God uh, silently in your head, but talk to God and deal with some of these things. Put them before him. Renew your commitment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's hard for us to hear about your wrath. But you have rescued us from sin and death. And you have sealed us against your wrath to protect your people from the coming plagues, whatever form they take. Lord, in this silent time, we offer you our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your love and for your salvation. And Lord, I give you my heart completely and I trust in your promise of eternal life. I surrender all.
Thank you, Lord, for your salvation and your gift. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.